Welcome to the Mighty Littles Podcast. Hi, Mighty Littles listeners. It's Anna, and I'm coming at you this week with Caitlin. Caitlin is going to talk to us about her experience in the NICU with her son, Leo. Leo was born at 29 weeks and overall had a relatively unremarkable NICU course. But I think Caitlin does a really nice job highlighting why it's important not to compare NICU journeys. Just because Leo's medical course in the NICU was not super turbulent and rocky doesn't make the NICU stay any less difficult. And Caitlin really talks about how she made it through the NICU and what those emotions were like for her. I think I paired this podcast with next week's podcast, which is going to be featuring Ebony and her daughter, Rain, because both Caitlin and Ebony have two really, really important things that they talk about in their podcast. The first is that they ask the question, when should I be questioning the medical team and advocating for myself? When is it okay to do that? Is there ever a time that it's not okay to do that? And they talk about the shoulda, coulda, wouldas, the question of, well, what if I had done something differently? Would the outcome be any different? And I think those are really important conversations for us to have. And then the second point that they both drive home, these were two totally separate interviews with two totally separate moms and two incredibly different experiences who live on opposite sides of the country. And they had the same two points. The first being, how do I know when it's okay to advocate for myself and question the medical community? Great question. And the second being, it's so important to give ourselves both kindness and grace when we are going through difficult experiences. And for sure, the NICU is one of those difficult experiences. You have to give yourself kindness and grace. Some days you're going to show up on your best behavior, doing your best. And other days, you're just going to be tapped out and not necessarily on your best. And it's okay. We all understand that it's okay. But it remains true that you're showing up and you're doing the best that you can that day. And that is 100% what you need to be doing. So this week, we're going to talk to Caitlin Her son, Leo, 29 weeks, had a NICU stay. If you like this episode as much as I do, please take a minute and rate us, give us a review, and send me some feedback. What do you like about the podcast? What else do you want to hear about? I sure would appreciate it. Enjoy this podcast. Caitlin, welcome to Mighty Littles. Thank you so much for being here. Why don't we start off the podcast by having you introduce yourself to our listeners? Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on. My name is Caitlin. I live in Denver with my husband, Lenny, my dog, and my almost 10-month-old baby, Leo. And that's obviously why we're talking today. Leo was born in July at 29 weeks and had a 50-day stay in the NICU in Denver. So why don't you talk me through a little bit about your pregnancy and kind of when things started to become a little bit rocky and at what point did you know you were going to be having a baby that needed a NICU stay? Sure. So 
uh, we got married in the summer of 2018 and knew we wanted to have a family. You know, we were married a few months and then we got pregnant really easily once we made the decision to start a family. So we were thrilled about that. We found out in January that we were, we were having a baby and, um, you know, we're starting to plan accordingly and, and told friends and family, you know, once we got through the first trimester and everything was very normal and almost too easy. Right. I felt great. Like I, I feel bad because I know a lot of pregnant women do not have a great first trimester. I had a great first trimester. I was, I was a little bit tired, but not really sick, not really feeling many of any of the pregnancy changes. Um, almost to the factor I, I kept taking pregnancy tests to be like, oh, wait, am I, am I actually pregnant? <laughs> like, am, am I good? So, so pregnancy was, was easy. I, I really enjoyed being pregnant. Somewhere around that 16 week mark, we found out we were having a boy which was really exciting. Uh, we were planning this baby moon in Italy. We were like coming up with a birth plan. Like obviously I was like, yes, we're going to do it naturally. Try and get a midwife, you know, all these things that like first time moms are super jazzed about and should be right. Um, yeah, absolutely. And, and, and all that. So I, I travel a lot for work and I travel a lot for, for fun. And, and at about 19, 20 weeks, I had made some plans to go to New Orleans. I was going to a bachelorette party of a dear friend, made the trip out, had a great time. And on the flight back, I get off the plane and I had a really significant bleed. And so at 20 weeks pregnant, obviously I'm pretty shaken up about this. And and the poor bachelorette had to drive me to the emergency room where my husband met me. That was the first time you know, as we're driving there that I'm, I, I'm thinking, oh, wow, um, this might be it. This might be the end of my pregnancy. This, this is not normal. Um, which was, which was very, very terrifying. And also a little bit of a reality check for a very easy pregnancy. And, and for me, who is, who's really enjoying this whole experience. And so we get to the hospital and the first thing, you know, obviously is the doctor is making sure that they find a heartbeat on my baby. And they do. They find his heartbeat, um, which immediately made me completely relieved and, and gave me kind of the sense of like, okay, okay, what next? We're going to be all right. And so ran a bunch of tests. And really the outcome was we don't really know what happened. We see that there's a significant bleed event. We don't see anything wrong physically with you know, your placenta with your uterus, with you, with the baby, everything seems pretty normal. There's a whole host of issues. This could be, most of them are no problem. Some of them we're just going to have to watch out for. Um, you're not actively bleeding. You should be okay. So they, they sent me home and advised me for two weeks bed rest. And if I started bleeding again, obviously that I would come in immediately. So I went home, canceled all my trips for work. Um, and just kind of took what I thought was going to be two weeks. And instead, you know, the next, the next day I end up having another significant bleed, end up back in the hospital, um, back in labor and delivery. Um, and so at that point, the baby was fine. Same situation. They said, we really, we really don't know. And so it was at that point that I was told that now I'm going to be really in high risk for my pregnancy, not just for my own health, 
my own health issues that I had in the past that could or could not affect pregnancy. But now I am at risk for um, PROM, which is um, premature rupture of membranes. There you go. This is why we need a doctor on this. (laughs) Okay, we could have we could have some issues here. But when they said that to me, I was thinking like maybe like 35, 36, 37 weeks, if at all, they were really not concerned. And they sent me home. And and um, I just kind of continued on with my pregnancy and everything seemed like it was going to be okay. Everything seemed like it was going to be fine. And we started, you know, planning. We went to our birth class and we we did all of that kind of stuff uh, that normal, normal pregnant couples do. And we kind of really didn't think anything of it. We took it as, okay, best case scenario that all things are normal. We're just going to go ahead with our normal plan. And then I started to feel regular kind of heartburn. And it, it was like a iron in the middle of my chest. And it felt like I never had heartburn, but I always had had issues with pain in, in my belly. And I thought, okay, I'm, I'm now, you know, more pregnant than I was before, right? I'm, this is a, probably like 27, 28 weeks. And, and I'm feeling like intense what I would say was heartburn. And I talked to my two sisters-in-law who were both pregnant. Actually, fun fact, one was due in July and one was due the day before my son was due. Okay. So I had like, I had like my, my buds, my two sisters-in-law, we were going through it together. And um, that's the best way to do pregnancy for both. So I have three kids, two pregnancies. <laughs> my um, sister-in-law was pregnant with her first and delivered um, three months before I delivered. And then with my twins and her second, my my due date was after her due date, but I delivered my twins two weeks before her second baby. So we look like when we go out, we have twins and triplets because we were both pregnant at the same time for both of those pregnancies. Which oh, was that's funny. That's abso- awesome. Yeah, it was absolutely fantastic. It was, I don't know, I, I loved being pregnant at the same time as she was pregnant. It was really, really fun. Yeah, it is so fun. I did, we did our shower together. Like we had, well, I did my shower, but those are second babies and we, we did it together and it all turned out my son was supposed to be the youngest and he ended up the oldest. The oldest, yeah. But... <laughs> But yeah, so anyway, I, I kept on having these like heartburn episodes. I go in, it's the end of June, and I go in for a regular appointment. They're like, eh, baby's breach, with, but you have plenty of time. We're not worried about that. I go, I decide, you know, almost six and a half months pregnant to go camping. I'm like, this is a great idea to go camping in Winter Park in the middle of nowhere with some friends and my husband. And I'm feeling like really bad heartburn and back pain and like pain along my belly band. And so we make it one night and then I tell my husband, we just got to go home. I don't feel right. I don't feel good. Let's just go home and rest and we'll call the doctor on Monday. Over the course of the weekend, the pain just gets excruciating. So I end up back in the hospital. Long story short, this experience was very, very negative for me. Um, I had great care at the hospital. I, I went in there already twice before. They checked everything with the baby because I had back pain, belly band pain. Ironically, I had been in my doctor's office that morning. I had called them and been like, hey, can I come in? I've been having weird heartburn. The baby hasn't been moving that much. Like, can you just check it out? And my doctor checked it out, put me on the machine, was monitoring my contractions. And she's like, they kind of like, you, you do you feel that you're contracting? And I'm like, not really. She's like, well, you're having a contraction right now. She put me on the monitor. Um, she had, she was going to get my, um, 
measure my cervix and put me in an ultrasound. But when the doctor came in, he looked at my charts. He's like, oh, she's fine. Send her home. Like, like it's fine. She's just having some, some Braxton Hicks. But lo and behold, then that night I end up in the ER and complaining of these pains and, and they're seeing that I'm having what they call like an angry, angry uterus, but they determine it's a, it's a gallbladder attack. I have all these gallstones. This is not a surprise to me. And it's actually a relief that I'm like, it has nothing to do with the baby. And, and they kept telling me it has nothing to do with the baby. So I was relieved and I was just like, okay, this is a gallbladder attack. It's nothing. Um, my doctor called me to check up and I told her, I said, you know, Hey, yeah, I was back in there. They said, everything's fine. Nothing to do with the baby. I had a strange experience. I kind of felt a little bullied. Let's talk about it later. Right. But I'm cool. Like, let's, let's just keep going. Okay. Um, but then five days later, we have a problem. <laughs> so after, after you had this strange experience at the hospital, that clearly wasn't the best experience. Did you feel totally relieved? Like, yeah, we're just, I'm still going to deliver at 35, 36 weeks. This is all the gallbladder. Or did you have a hint in your head somewhere of, gosh, you know, I really wish they would have checked me. I, I still don't f- feel quite right. Like, what what was your intuition telling you? My, I think at that point, I just, I wanted my baby to be okay. And I wanted everything to be okay. And so I thought to myself, these are the experts. They would tell me if something was wrong. Like that was my mentality. I still thought I was actually going to make it full term at that point. I still thought everything was going to be fine. I was just a little bit, I felt like I wanted to talk to my doctor about when can I say no? When can I advocate for myself? When, like, when can I push back? Like, I just felt that's what I wanted to talk about. Cause like, I just felt like I was, there was a lot of things that they were just telling me. And when I asked questions, it was like, no, 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 no. We know better. Like, so I just had this gut feeling that I didn't ask all the right questions. That's it's interesting because another mom that I talked to had a similar experience with wanting more answers and a nurse saying, hey, put your pants on. Everything's good. You can leave. And she was like, I'm not leaving. I'm not putting my pants on. I know there's a problem. This is now a, a theme that I'm hearing through several yes. podcasts. I, and I think that's true. And this and and this played into a lot of my experience in the NICU and what kind of a, a, a mom I was in the NICU is because I had this experience. I had a lot of regret about this experience um, because one thing that didn't happen was they didn't check my cervix. And I didn't think I had to advocate for myself at that point. But my tune certainly changed once a week later, once I realized what the implications were. And it didn't matter if to me, and this, and we could talk about it once we get to, to, you know, actually having this baby and like how hard it is to have regret and and guilt in the NICU. But I, I really, I really didn't realize how much guilt I was going to have about this. Cause I, I didn't know it was going to happen. Right. You know, I didn't know, but that, and even, even so it, I could have been not in labor at that point. It could have just been totally separate fluke thing that had no effect on my pregnancy, but I will never know. Right. I will never know. And if you had checked your cervix then and Mm -hmm. it was closed and thick, then you would know that these were two separate Mm -hmm. events. And Mm -hmm. those, I call them the shoulda, coulda, wouldas. Um, 
those shoulda, coulda, wouldas are really, really hard to, to go back and think about if, what if, um, they're just really hard. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so that is the, that is something, you know, I think a lot of my theme in the NICU was regret was guilt was woulda, shoulda, coulda. And it goes back to this moment of when I felt like, and, and the nurse practitioner on schedule had just had her gallbladder out two weeks ago. She told me all, over and over again, this has nothing to do with your pregnancy. Cause I asked her that multiple times. And I said, as long as it has nothing to do with my pregnancy, you, we can do whatever we need to. I don't, I'll be fine. We'll get through it. Like I, let's schedule surgery whenever, who cares? Yeah. So fast forward five days, it was a Saturday and I'll like, it's very vivid uh, this moment. So I'm, I'm laying on my left side, got my pregnancy pillow. I'm on my left side. Um, and I had just, it's about eight 30 in the morning and I had just turned from my left side to my right side, which, you know, it's six and a half months pregnant is an ordeal. And as soon as I settle on to my right side, I felt a gush and I'm just like, what was that? I shoot up and I say to my husband, like Lenny, I am leaking. And he's like, you're leaking. I'm like, I am, I am leaking. And it's not a little gush. It is a, it is a lot. It is a lot. And I keep saying it's a lot over and over again. Cause I'm a little bit like what's happening. He's like, did you pee yourself? I'm like, no. So I, I get out of bed and I go over to our bathroom and, and when I, when I'm standing up, it is a full on like covers our bathroom floor. And at this point I'm just like, okay, I, I actually, there's this calm that just came over me instead of panic, which I'm not an inherently like calm person, um, as probably is evidenced <laughs> in this podcast anyway, but like, I was like, okay, okay, okay. Um, I think my water broke. And my, at this point, my husband's up and he's already got like our doctor on speed dial because we've been through this. We've been through, you know, our, our bleeding issue at, at 20 weeks. And like, he's already got our doctor on the phone and I'm in the bathroom, like trying to process what's happening and like being eerily, weirdly calm for my, my personality type. And, you know, he's on the phone, he's explaining it to the doctors. And it's, to me, it's like, you know, in the Muppets, when the mom's like, wah, 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 that's all I hear. Right. And until he hands me the phone and he says, you got to tell them what's, what, what's going on. Cause they always ask to talk to me. Right. To exactly. hear from, from me. Yeah. And so I, I told the doctor and as I'm, t- or excuse me, the nurse on, on call. And as I'm telling her this, then I start to, to lose it. And she's like, okay pack whatever things you need and get here as soon as possible. So we just throw everything in a bag and thank goodness we're 10 minutes from the hospital. We live, you know, in in the middle of Denver and we get in the car and and Lenny just gets us on I-70 and we fly over to the hospital and we have to check in through the ER because it's the weekend and I'm, I'm sitting on a towel. We brought a towel because you, you still create amniotic fluid and you're still leaking, right. right? Even if your water totally gushes out, it's like a lot of water. And with a baby that small, there's a lot of fluid. Right. So I remember getting sat in a wheelchair in the ER, the labor and delivery already down there to pick us up. But like there's, there's a man checking into the ER and he just looks at me and goes, oh my gosh, you're having your baby. Congratulations. And like I, I... I just, I just 
I feel bad because he didn't even have any idea what was going on, but I just looked at him and I just bawling and, and I I felt even now, like I, I just felt like, Oh, poor guy. But so I, it was the best of intentions, right? Like you're coming in, you're clearly sitting in a wheelchair. They're rolling you up. You look pregnant. pregnant. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You're having your baby, right? The, the best of Mm -hmm. intentions, but sometimes those comments, when you don't know the surrounding circumstances, they mm-hmm. really feel like a sucker punch sometimes. Mm-hmm. That that was that was my first taste of what this next two months was going to look like. Um, and I I just kind of at that point I was just like crying. You know I did I didn't I kind of was like a, a blank because I had no idea what was next. Right. So we yeah we go up to labor and delivery and again just like that first time I went in when I was just sitting there being like it felt like slow motion that they were checking the baby's heartbeat, like slow motion. And they had a little bit of trouble finding it just because there was no fluid in there. And like, where was the baby? And, um, when they found his heartbeat, um, I was like, again, that wave of relief Mm -hmm. that like, okay, okay. He's sticking with us. There he is. Like it's, I'm 29 weeks, two days, lost my water his heartbeat's fine. And like, in fact, they, they put me on all these machines. They monitor him. They're like, yeah, he's like straight up chilling in there. He's, he looks fine. He looks great. He doesn't look stressed. And I'm like, okay, well, what, what is this then? Yeah. What do we do now? <laughs> like, like, what are we doing? And they basically were like, okay, well, you're not in labor. You're not really contracting. You know, your water broke. We don't know why your water broke, but your water broke. So here's what's going to happen. And they run all my tests and, you know, do everything they have to do. But the bottom line was they were like, okay, two options. Most people that go into labor when their water breaks, it happens within the first like 24 to 48 hours. You're not in showing any signs of labor. So we're hoping that's not going to happen. Otherwise, we're going to expect that you are going to be comfy and cozy in here for probably, hopefully, until you hit 34 weeks. So, you know, Lenny, go home pack a bag with things that are comfy, cozy, whatever you want for the next five weeks. And you'll be a resident of the hospital. hospital. (laughs) And I was like, okay, that's that's not how I thought I was going to spend my summer, but we can do that. You know, that's fine. You know, that's what it's going to take. Like that's way better than having a baby right now. Right. What was funny too, was they were like talking about all this. And then they were saying, cause all these storms had happened um, over the 4th of July. So this is, this is the weekend after the 4th of July on a Wednesday. And there were these huge storms. They were saying, you know, Caitlin, there were like six or seven other women whose, whose water randomly broke. And you know, there's, is there, is there a pool in there? Is, do I remember that correctly? Yeah. There's a pool. There's a, they kept saying like the new, like the pregnant moms that are living here, they go down, to they the go pool. down to the pool. Yeah. So, so there's actually good, there's actually a reason for it, right? So moms that have premature rupture of membranes, you have low amniotic fluid and you need that amniotic fluid for the lungs to develop and for the baby to be able to have enough space to move around to not get what's called contractures where your limbs are kind of stuck. And so if you rupture really early, they'll take the moms down to the pool to swim in the pool a couple times a week because they've shown that it actually can help increase the amount of fluid that you have. Um, So there's all these moms that go down to the pool and uh, have a swim. I thought that was something I made up in my head in this memory that I have. 
But okay, they did tell me that. Mm-hmm. Truly, Anna, I felt like I'm not having a baby today. I'm right. just not. I'm not. And in this time, they're coming in and they're like giving me the steroid shot. They're like, just in case, here's the steroid shot um, in the hindquarters. And just in case, we're going to have the NICU doctor come in and tell you what to expect at this gestation. And so I remember the NICU doctor, he came in at the time, the neonatologist, and he was like super calm. And so for me, I was like, oh, he's, he's calm. I'm calm. This is good. And he was just telling us uh, about what to expect at this gestation. And I remember he opened up the conversation and he said, you know, guys, um, when we're at 29 weeks, at this point, we're not looking at if he's going to make it. We're looking at what happens if he comes today. And I think that was the first red flag that went up. And I was like, okay, this is, this is, this is interesting. Like, this is a little bit not, this is, this to me was very, um, a little bit more reality than I wanted. He started going through all the things that could happen and he started, told us what to expect, which is great. You know, it's really helpful to just know just in case it happens. Um, And then somewhere along the line, and they don't like to keep checking you, by the way, for labor, which, you know, as a neonatologist, as a doctor that deals with this every day, but um, they don't like to keep checking your progress um, physically because of risk of infection once your water breaks. Correct. So they weren't really doing that. They had me on the, on the contraction machine, but, um, that we were, it was just kind of like we were going to be here a while. Uh, then all of a sudden, I started feeling um, that my contractions, which at first had just kind of felt like regular cramps, started to feel really painful. And I remember I was really uncomfortable. I was like, oh, this is, this is what contractions feel like. And so my husband and I moved to the floor and I said, hon, like, it hurts pretty bad. Like, like, double bad and maybe we should get the nurse. So he goes out and gets the nurse, Deb, who she's awesome. I loved her so much. The nurse practitioner. Um, she was just like, had a really good way of making you feel comfortable. Great. And, and by the way, out of a really interesting twist of fate, I, I want to mention this cause it, it was a huge part of my story is the same doctor that was there on call for my bleed was the doctor that was there that day. And he was also awesome and made you laugh and made you feel really comfortable. But so I'm feeling this pain and, and she's like, all right, I don't really want to check your, your cervix again, but get on the bed. We're going to check that thing and see how we're doing. So she goes and checks and, and I, I see her face like she like cocks her head as she's doing the exam. She's like, huh. And I'm like, what is it? And she's like, I feel something pressing against the cervix. She's like, you're about three centimeters. So I hate to tell you, you are in labor right now, and I feel something hard pressing against your cervix, and being that your baby is breech, I'm pretty sure it's a foot. And so I'm like, huh, okay. And because my baby was breech, I knew no matter what, this is a C-section baby, right? No matter what, there is no way to get this breech baby out um, at this point vaginally. We We just knew that. They told us that. No fluid for him to flip. And so he's, he is where he is. And so she's like, well, that's interesting. She's like, all right, hon, get comfortable in the bed. If you want to take any more laps, take laps. You're going on magnesium. So I'm still a little bit in denial that today is going to be the day I'm going to be a preemie mom. 
still in this point, I'm getting magnesium. You know, I'm feeling like girl on fire. If And for you, like preemie moms and, and moms that have had magnesium, I think we can all say it is the worst, right? It makes you actually feel like you're on fire. Your vision goes blurry. Um, it just feels awful. You can't walk. By the time you're in there, they give you a catheter. They're like, you're, you're hanging out in bed and, until your situation changes. And so I was, I was hanging out on magnesium and then, um, the plot thickens and where we started to first realize what kind of a child we were going to have, uh, about an hour later, my pain is getting, my pain is still getting worse and I'm on medication. I'm, I'm going through the magnesium and Deb comes in and she's like, all right, I'm, I got to check you again. This is, you're just not looking good, my friend. And I, I, I was like, I really don't want you to, you said the infection thing. And I'm trying to be an advocate for myself because right. I was at this point like mad a little bit about the experience I had five days ago being like, what, what the heck? Why am I in this? And so I was kind of like giving Deb a little bit of a hard time being like, do you really need to do that? And she was like, Caitlin, I really need to do this. Let me do this. And I said, okay. So she, she checks again. And Anna, like this picture of her face, I will never forget. She's, she looks up, makes eye contact with me and her face drops. And I was like, please do not tell me what you feel until your hand is out of my lady parts and, and like, give me a minute. And, and she does that and she stopped and she's like, that was a leg. We're going. And I was like, what do you mean we're going? And, you know, in between when I got the magnesium, they had me sign off on, on my C-section, you know, the baby care, all that stuff. I already signed off on everything because just in case they, the doctors knew more than I did and the nurses did, they weren't telling me because I was in denial, obviously. But um, that's when I lost it. That is when I knew that I was going to be a preemie mom. And the whole day had been light and I'd been laughing and really thinking that it was going to be okay. And I just lost it. I just started crying and I kept saying to my husband, it's too soon. It's too soon. It's too soon. I couldn't stop saying those words as they're wheeling me down the hall and they're throwing scrubs at him and they, they've got him, you know, in a corner. They, they bring me to the OR and they put me on the, the, the bed and they lean me forward over my, my nurse, Olivia. Um, and I remember her name. She was there all day. And I'm just sobbing into her ear. And I'm saying, I said to her, I said, you deliver babies this early all the time, right? And she said, yeah. And I said, and they're okay. And she's like, yeah. And I was like, are you sure? And she kept telling me, yes, your baby is going to be okay. And at that point, I felt his leg, you know, and I felt that he was there. And I, I just, that's when it hit me. And, um, I just remember just crying into Olivia as they're, they're sticking the spinal tap and just asking her over and over again if he's going to be okay. Because <laughs> my husband wasn't there. He was um, getting his scrubs on. And uh, it just was like moment in time that froze. Um, never forget her, Olivia, because it was just that moment that she was just in the worst, I think, moment that I was having. She was just telling me it was going to be okay and that you know you're in good hands like we do this all the time like you're gonna do great and Lenny was able to come in and he stood next to me and 
I remember at that point there were like what felt like 25 people in the room. We had the anesthesiologist, the neonatologist who she was standing next to me with, with my husband, um, my doctor who, like I said, was, I was so relieved that he was there still. And that he was the guy that was going to deliver my baby. I'm in a really fearful place, but I'm looking up at Lenny and he's kind of straddling the curtain and he and Dr. M, the neonatologist, they're looking at the baby and he's watching it happen and he's giving me the play-by-play and he's got a grin under his little mask that is to his ears. And for me, this, this was really important because I could not get my shit together. Obviously I'm on the table. I'm freaking out that my baby is coming too soon too soon. And my head is finally coming to reality that this is happening. And my husband has this joy. He's having his first baby. Like his little boy is about to be here. And he's like, Oh my goodness. I see his little butt. Oh my goodness. I see his, I see his, this, and I see his, that. And, and he's telling me everything that's happening. And he's like joking with Dr. M, the neonatologist. He's talking to the, you know, my, my doctor, my OBGYN. And, and he is just narrating everything. And the baby comes out and wouldn't you know it, there's this little cry, one tiny little whimper. And I just remember being like, oh my God, he's okay. He, he's crying. And we didn't think he was going to have that lung capacity because we only got one of the steroid shots and they, they kind of prepared us that he wouldn't cry, but he did. And, you know, Lenny was so joyful in that moment. And I was like, oh God, thank God one of us is joyful for our child. Like, thank goodness he is giving our baby the moment he deserves. Because I sure couldn't. Yeah. Were you able to pick up on his joy or you still were just trying to hold it together enough to not shake the table with your sobs? Mostly the latter. But I think once I heard the cry, I felt better. Every moment after that got better. But I still wasn't in a state of joy. I was in still a state of worry. I was still in a state of, how is this happening to my baby? Is he okay? Like that, you know, that's, that, that couldn't leave my brain. And then doc, the neonatologist, Dr. M, she, um, who I came to know, cause she was our doctor all through the NICU and, and, um, she is so funny. And she, the first word she said was to me, she goes, Oh, he's big he's fine and I I was like I it just then is when I started laughing and I was like okay if the NICU doctor thinks he's fine okay so they whisk him away and 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 I hear still Lenny like yelling things from the table and then Dr. M's yelling things back and my then Dr. B is sewing me up and yelling things back and and so everybody's like because he came out really good like he, he was crying he he got good APGAR scores but then they actually wrap him up and I'm able to hold him. They intubate him, but they allow me to hold him for a couple seconds. Like Lenny brings him over and, you know, our neonatologist, he takes a picture and I got that moment, right? I got that moment with my baby. I got to hold him and a lot, right. and, and a lot of moms that go through what I go through, they don't get to hold their babies. So I thought that was really, really special. It, it almost provides 
a little bit of normalcy to what is otherwise a very scary non-normal situation, right? Because in a term C-section where babies are born big and healthy, they come out, they wrap them up, and they hand them to mom to hold. And when we can do that with our preterm babies, I think it really provides moms with an incredible amount of comfort. Um because it brings a, just this sliver of normalcy to what is otherwise a very scary moment. I, I couldn't agree with you more because no, no first-time mom, no second-time mom, no third-time mom who hasn't gone through it would ever envision this, right? It, it just, it just, it didn't even like come onto my radar, right? And the fact they gave me that baby, I was like, okay, I get this. I get this. Okay. He's okay. And I looked in his little face and he was so cute. Like I was like really ready for him to like not be cute, but maybe it's my mom's eyes. I was like, he's perfect. He's perfect. And you know, even though he had his little intubation, I could only see a tiny little sliver of his eyes because he was all wrapped up in the hat. And I was like, all right, we're good. And, and I felt, I felt so much better. I had this, this wave of relief and I'm like, we did it. We did it. We did it. And he's here. And then they, they, they take him and I, and Lenny goes with him to the NICU and I get all sewn up and they take me to the little recovery room, which was like a tiny little clock. And I was still doing good. Like I was, I feel like at that point you're kind of riding on adrenaline and the relief that your baby is here. And not only he was three pounds, one ounce at 29 weeks. He was a big boy yeah, for no, nice his baby. gestation. Yeah. That was great to hear. Cause we had no idea what we were in for. And then, you know, I, I remember being in the little recovery room. I'm like, chomping on ice chips, calling my family who were all worried about me. My mom was literally on a plane to Denver. Um, and just like telling everybody, I were good. I'm, I'm hanging out here in this room by myself or this curtained area by myself, eating ice chips, waiting for the magnesium to wear off. And, and, uh, you know, and the, the anesthesia to wear off. And I actually felt really fine. So he was born at seven thirty one. So all in all between, uh, Leo sticking his entire leg out of my cervix and him joining us in the world. I like to say that he, um, my baby actually stepped out of the womb. Because he did. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Children are who they are. We're done finding out. They yes. are who they are. This <laughs> I have been summer. saying for years. Babies have the personality that they're born with. Um, and you just have to be observant enough to recognize it. And you have a kid that's going to leap two feet forward into the world without thinking of the consequences. That is the personality oh. of your child. <laughs> Anna, he started crawling today and I am just like, oh God. And he does whatever he wants. And I'm uh -huh. just like, oh geez, this is him. This and is it who will he was serve him well when he's older, but it will make par parenting a challenge for the next little bit. <laughs> I, I have one of those children. <laughs> oh my God. You're, I'm going to be calling you for more than just... <laughs> Premium advice because we always joke. My husband was like a wild child, so okay. I was like, "Oh, geez, just don't." If I don't have to have like, I knew the risks with marrying him, but like the very you go through like so even through the birth experience is you go through so many like I was in a little bit of denial. I was eerily calm about it. Then when I started realizing how real it was, I was completely freaked out. And you worry. You have no idea what this is going to mean for your child. And, and, um, and you, it doesn't even cross your radar to think about this before it happens to you. So, and, and, and by the way, I, I think that's a good thing because if I think if I knew 
that I was going into labor at 29 weeks and two days and I had time to prepare and think about it, that would have been terrible. I, I think that not knowing was good. And even even in the context now, I, I'm in a mom's group uh, in Denver of like dear friends that are having babies and, and three of them delivered during this pandemic. Right. And they had weeks and weeks and weeks to think about all the stuff that could go wrong or the risks and, and that anxiety, I feel for them. And well, I and think, to think about how it's going to be different than what they wanted, right? It, yes, yes, you know? and that's so, a huge part. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a huge, huge part, part because I was expecting my husband to be there with me and my parents to come and meet the baby and my sister who lives down the street was going to do this. And now the hospital's telling me I can only have one visitor, right? So it's going to mm-hmm. be very different than how you think it's going to be. Mm-hmm. And that does, you do have to process through that. Um mm-hmm. But that doesn't and make honestly, it easy. Yeah. And honestly, I feel like my my wonderful dear friends who have delivered in this environment, we have more in common with our birth experiences than I ever wanted to have in common with them about it. Right. The isolation and, you know, the, the grief. And, and I know we'll talk about this in a minute, but like the grief about losing that experience that you thought you were going to have and that you and your child deserve to have. Right. That's it, it gets heavy, right? It gets it gets it, it's it's a lot of different juxtapositions of joy and grief and regret and gratitude. You know, you want to be keeping the big picture in mind is you have a healthy baby that one day is going to have the normal life you want. But you're also losing the experience of your child having that warm, happy, loving welcome into the world. Of course, there are lots of complications that come with even the healthiest of pregnancies. But at the end of the day, um, I think when you envision what your birth story is going to look like with the birth of your child, you envision holding that baby. You envision having your partner hold that baby. You envision your closest family and friends being able to celebrate with you. You envision, you know, being able to share your joy. And if you don't have enough joy to share or you feel like people, they can't even access you right and a lot of times or you don't it's just it's just very it's it's very strange right there's no one word to put on it except for it's hard because it's it's grief it's grief and and you know it is and it's it's really if I could kind of jump up and down on a soapbox it's really good for NICU moms to grieve what they wanted what they thought they were going to have so that they can get to a place of appreciating what they do have now and just because you're grieving what you wanted and what you thought you would have doesn't mean you're not grateful for where you're currently at and I think that's a really hard thing to have go through your head to to say hey it's okay that I'm sad that I didn't get what I want and to be grateful for what I have. I can do Mm -hmm. these at the same time. Um, Mm -hmm. 
and I think a lot of people feel guilty for for being upset that they didn't get what they wanted. But that for me, that's not guilty. That's just normal processing. That's that's grieving. That's saying, oh, I missed out on that. But I am still happy about this. At least with my experience. And now my son is almost 10 months old. He's come out of this better than we could have ever expected or hoped. For all, all intents and purposes, you know, if I would tell people that, you know, what he went through, they, they'd be like, oh, no way, and, and kind of brush it off. But but I think that um, I came out of this with my son and my family um, as a success story. And when I was going through it, when I was in the NICU, when I was doing that very hard work that combined grief and joy and guilt and all this stuff, a lot of the time, and, and especially at the beginning, I was really angry and regretful and, and guilty and sad. And I kept thinking, I, I wanted and I thought I was going to have this experience. Why isn't it me? Like, why why don't I get that? I know that people go through hard times and end up in the NICU, but but I didn't ever think it would be me. And I'm sad that it's me. And I'm I'm grieving not just that it's me, but that it's my child. That this is the way that he had to be welcomed and that he doesn't get the joy that I wanted to give him. And I kept thinking of it as I'm living a very um, a bad, a bad case scenario of the scenario and the expectation that I had for my first child. And then as time has gone on, I've tried and, I, and I'm not one that subscribes to like, you have to look on the bright side or that you have to be grateful for what you have. I think there's a time and a place for that. And I think that's really important. But I think that's a little bit minimizing to the overall experience in general, whether it's a NICU parent or loss or anything. But, but what's helped me now as I look back is instead of thinking I've got the short end of the deal for what I wanted to have and what could have happened and my body failed and um, things went wrong, instead I, I'm trying to look at it as, you know, maybe I'm living the best case scenario of a totally different outcome that would have been devastating and what, what that would be is losing our baby at 20 weeks and not coming home with him. He didn't just make it to viability. He, we had an abruption at 20 weeks that they found out when they, when they took my placenta out, they confirmed it, that I had an abruption at 20 weeks. And he hung on nine more weeks. There was no interruption to his oxygen, no interruption to his nutrition. And we went through this really hard NICU experience. But at the end of the day, I took my baby home. If I had lost my baby... The NICU would have been my dream scenario. Right. And so you don't, and I'm not saying that NICU moms have to think of it that way because I don't think that's fair or right. But I think that that helped me once I got out of it to kind of readjust my thought process of what I expected. And I still struggle with it every day. You know, I still struggle with with that stuff. But um, I think the expectation part of it is really hard. Right. And I think a lot of people, like I've said, struggle through that. And as you hear stories of NICU moms and how they kind of cope with and wrap their head around that grief of being in the NICU, people find different ways of um, getting through that process. And for some people, it's their family. For some people, it's their faith. For some people, it's meditation. And for some people, it's 
uh, thinking about what the other scenarios could have been, you know, all of those are good ways to think about your experience. And everybody deserves a chance to do that. And everybody's going to come about what their conclusions are differently. But I think it's very helpful to hear other people talk about their experience and how they came to grips with it, because it gives you a little bit of frame of reference. And you can say, oh, I'm a really religious person. And I really, um, I really relate to this person who used her faith as the way to get through. Or or you can say, I'm not a religious person at all, but I really relate to this person who changed their, um, what could have been a very negative story into something more positive with advocacy and, and, and whatever. But knowing different ways that people coped with it can help other moms then go forward and, and cope with their situation. That's, that's really true because there is no right way to react to this situation. And it doesn't matter how you think you're going to react. Like if you would have told me before all this, oh, how would you deal with this? It is not how I actually dealt with it. Right? And and I think Because you to, don't know how you're going to... Like you can think this is how I would react to that, but you don't actually know how you're going to react to something until you're in it. And yeah. It doesn't matter how strong of a person or how strong your opinions are that, oh, no, I know I would react to it this way. I, I don't know that you can be so, so sure of how you're going to react to something until you're actually knee deep in it. I didn't feel any of the the maybe the perspective um, that I feel now while I was going through it. I mean, I felt when I was in the NICU, I felt so much regret, so much guilt and so much grief, um, you know, through the whole, through the whole thing, I felt really, really guilty that my body had failed my child. I felt guilty that I did something somehow throughout my pregnancy that caused this. I felt really guilty that just five days before I was in the hospital delivering my baby, I I was overnight staying in, in the labor and delivery unit. And I, I didn't scream at the top of my lungs I could be in labor check me now like and and I feel even when I think about it too much now I get really upset and and that guilt still gets me and that it 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 just is really really hard no matter if logic tells you that there isn't anything you could have done I don't know what the right answer is, but but reframing my mind that instead of saying my body failed, maybe my body was doing exactly what it needed to do to help my baby get out when he needed to get out. And and I can replay it in my head and it comes out a different way because I just told you my story. But then I think about it and I said, well, actually, I do remember when I went to my appointment and my baby turned breech. I remember telling my doctor, you know, he hasn't really moved as much or that I thought he's on one side of my one side of the uterus. He was kind of nestled in feet down, head up and didn't move for like two weeks, which is weird. Like he knew something was up and I kept having strange dreams about take it with a grain of salt. This is going to sound totally crazy, but I kept having a recurring dream around this point, like 27, 28 weeks about the time that he wasn't really moving. And he was kind of set in his ways in breach. And, um, I had this dream that I kept telling my husband was a breastfeeding dream. I was like, I think I'm having anxiety about breastfeeding because I kept dreaming that he was super tiny and that 
I would, I would hold him to my chest and he'd look up at me and he, he didn't know how to breastfeed. And I was like, Oh, come on, buddy, you can do it. And he just felt kind of, it may, I had this overwhelming feeling like he just couldn't do it. And I was a little anxious about it in my dream. And I would wake up and I'd be like, Oh, let me have the breastfeeding dream again. Like I must be, I must be so anxious about nursing. But looking back, it wasn't, a, it wasn't a nursing dream. It was a preemie dream. It was a preemie dream. Why don't we talk about overall his NICU course? So when he went into the NICU, he was in the level four. Um, he was, like I said, three pounds, one ounce. Um, and in level four, he was a pretty good sized baby, right? He was, they were excited about his health and he, he was doing really well. So the first couple of days um, were kind of like, I felt a little bit of relief for probably the first like 24 hours. I was still feeling good because the relief was he's here, he's alive, he's well. And he was, he, you know, he was intubated when he was born, but he was intubated for one day. And then he came out, he came off it. I was, I was not expecting that. And I was really excited about that. And so he got put on just like his oxygen support. I mean, he had some tummy troubles, but he only spent all in all one week in level four. It was an adjustment for sure, being a NICU mom and walking into level four where your baby has an IV in his teeny tiny little arm and he's got monitors on him and, and his diapers are impossibly small and um, all the beeping and, and you have to, you kind of feel like you're not, you don't know what to do uh, and you feel a little nervous. I felt a little bit nervous to like touch him at first and to do his cares. But our nurses were really great about that. Our nurses really encouraged us to touch him and to do all of the things, right, to be involved. And I think that helped a lot. During that time in level four, the, the nurses were so patient with us and explained everything like like it was brand new because to us it was. They probably had these conversations every day, but they told us what all the monitors were and the beeping was. And uh, that was so a relief to me and, and helpful in a way that, that they acknowledged right off the bat. This is like a totally new world and you really don't even understand the language we're speaking. And they ran us through CARES. And at first I remember my husband and I were being like, we're going to break him. He's so teeny, so tiny. And when they started to show us how to do CARES, they were really good about encouraging us to start doing our CARES. So we started first with like the eyes and the lips. And, and even from the very beginning, Leo loved when we put a little bit of chapstick on his lips with that Q-tip and he just kind of pout his lips and let us do it, which, you know, started even that early in the first couple of days of life, seeing his little personality. And then day by day, you know, they we started to get more and more comfortable and into our rhythm of, of CARES. And eventually we do the diaper change and put on his like teeny tiny, like ridiculously small little diaper. And the nurses showed us how to take care of him. But not only that, I think you don't realize going into it that, that all the things you expect that you're going to do as a mom, like hold your baby, rock your baby, stroke your baby to make him feel comfortable. Those things actually are overstimulating and he can't have that happen. So that, that made me feel helpless and intimidated at first. And then I remember the, the nurses taking, you know, their hands and showing me one hand on his head, one hand on his feet, apply a little bit of pressure. And, you know, he just opened one eye, looked at me like, oh, hi, mommy. Hey. And I remember being like, okay, okay, maybe I can, maybe I can do this. Maybe I, I, I can figure this out and, and do something for my child. Right. That was really wonderful. And I, I seriously think that the nurses that 
that work in the NICU, they're, they're just the most patient, kind people on earth. Um, and, and just by the nature of their work, um, I think they have to be. (laughs) I think you're right. Yep. It's one of the only places in medicine where your job is to medically take care of a baby but to emotionally support a brand new mom and and they have to do both uh they don't they don't just run the pumps for the baby they don't just take care of the baby they're also there to help the moms figure out how to be a mom in the NICU I think that is such a good point and something that I learned as I went and and I think I had such a deep gratitude by the end especially for my primary nurses because a lot of the times, you know, Leo required some, some medical attention and help. Obviously he's a preemie baby, but the heavy lift of the emotional burden that my nurses had to deal with for me. And sometimes that came out in a loving way for me. And sometimes it came out like I was a little bit difficult sometimes because I didn't like what was happening to my baby. They dealt with me and they were very kind to me. And even on days that I was not necessarily, um, your kindest to deal with. Yeah. <laughs> my, my kindest. It does yes. not always bring out the kindest. So, um, those, that first week was, was hard. And I, I, I remember when I finally was discharged from my hospital stay. And as I was leaving the hospital, I actually had to go through the mom and baby labor and delivery discharge process. Um, which means that I sit in the break room with all the other moms leaving with their babies that day. They've got their, you know, big, healthy, plump, ready to go home babies in their arms. And I was in that room with them I'm listening to the, the discharge and I'm trying to keep it together. And I felt very jealous and very sad. And I, and I felt kind of bad that they had to have this kind of dark cloud in their, in their process. And, and by the time I got released from that and went to the NICU and then, and then spent my first night at home, that was very difficult. And I think that I, I wasn't prepared for how empty I would feel when I got home, not pregnant and not with my baby. And I think that night was the hardest night uh, that I had. And I didn't sleep. And, you know, my mom was with me then. And so was my husband. And, and you know, they kept telling me, you're, you're gonna, you're gonna be okay, you're gonna make it, you know, we're all gonna get through it. Um, he will come home eventually. But this is just, this is just what we're gonna have to deal with. And so the next my the next day back in the level four NICU, I remember my neonatologist coming in and she knew I had spent my first night at home. She saw my puffy red eyes that I was kind of like having a really hard time and she's just smiling. And I'm like, what are you smiling about? And she just looked at me and she goes, are you ready to hold your baby? And I literally jumped out of my chair and I was like, yes, Dr. M, give me that baby. So she went and it was our first kangaroo. She put his teeny tiny little body on my chest. I just remember the instant feeling of like a balm and all that tightness and that stuff just like went away. And he kind of looked up at me and I think he felt it too because you see his breath and his and his heart kind of leveling out on the, on the monitors. And I think both of us were just like... Ah, oh, this is what we both needed, and and it, we we're like, okay, this is this is it. So so that was the first time holding my my little guy, and then he got transferred over to level two, which was great. And we had good days and bad days, like I think everyone does. As a parent, it's really difficult to watch your teeny tiny little baby get pricked in the heel, or um, having to have an IV, or having to listen to the beeps all day and the fact that you know you can't you, you can't really like rock them or comfort them in any way that is natural 
to you as like a, a new parent. So that that's a little challenging. But all in all, his progress is pretty good. He didn't really like fortifiers. He didn't really like formula. So so his biggest problem was his tummy. And they, we worked with that all the time. At, at one point, he was on continuous feeds for a while. And that was a challenge. But all in all, he had he was doing great, which I think to me, like the fact he's doing so great, but you know, we still had so many ups and downs. And I think you just wait for him to not be doing great. But we went through weeks of he just kind of chugged along. He he was making really good progress. He was gaining weight. He was, we finally got to like dress him, which was really fun. He, about a month in, he came out of his isolate. He got moved to a big boy crib and the nurses became, we picked our primary nurses and they, they made us feel really comfortable and really happy. Um, and we were a team, you know, we, we were a team and, and then, um, about a month into his stay, it was the end of July, and he started to like get a little bit more spitty than he usually was and a little bit more refluxy. And he was, I could tell, you know, he just was uncomfortable. And it was the weekend, so we were kind of telling doctors, I don't think something's right. And they were like, ah, he seems, he seems okay. Like, he seems okay. Like, we'll just keep watching him. And then Monday rolled around, and, and our doctor came back to, you know, her shift, she was just like, I, I really don't like how his belly looks. I really don't like how his eyes look. And at this point, he was, you know, about four pounds. He was just about a month old. And we were feeling like we were getting really close, right? We were, we were seeing light at the end of the tunnel. And then, you know, she was like, well, guys, I'm really sorry, but I'm, I'm really worried. And I'm, I, and she told us that she thought that he had potentially, um, neck, which is short for neck. I actually forget what it's short for. That's okay. Necrotizing enterocolitis. Yes. Which is kind of a, a scary version. It's, it's a bacteria that we Googled it. So that's probably not the best idea, but we Googled <laughs> what it was and they explained it to us. And then I wasn't processing it. Um, and then I Googled it, which was a terrible idea. And it's basically this bacteria that can eat through your child's intestines. And it's, it's I guess, like a hospital. It's a NICU disease. It's something that can be caught in the hospitals. And, and so the course of action was immediate. It was like, put him on antibiotics, get him, and his IV was back. And he was going through these things of antibiotics. And, and they're putting him through all the tests. And essentially, they said to us, like, look, we don't know if that's what this is. So at that point, you know, that was our you know, I felt like the bottom had dropped out, which I was waiting for it to drop out at some point, you know, in the NICU. I feel like that's just a NICU parent thing to do is wait for the bottom to drop out. And, um, I was like, Oh, my heart just like dropped him. And we had had some family in town. My sister-in-law was visiting. We were having such a great time. Um, we were so excited because we we're like, Oh, we think we're almost out of here. And then we get this news. It just sank you know, it was, it was part of me was like, this, this could kill my baby. Yeah, especially if and you I, got online and looked it up. Um, when you look at all comers of neck, a third uh, do very poorly. Um, a third do very well. And a third need surgery and have a significant recovery, but still do recover. But when you're on the internet, it, it looks like all babies do very badly. Right. So the moral of the story is don't, don't Google it. Don't Google uh, it. Or I think don't. a better, a better response is um, when you Google it, 
please come and talk to us as your neonatologists, because we will buffer what the internet says. Um, <laughs> as much as I tell people, don't Google, don't Google, it, there is some reassurance there, right? Like you want as much information as you can get. And when you're pumping at two o'clock in the morning and you're scrolling through your phone, what are you going to do but Google the thing that your doctor says your baby might not have? I mean, it's very hard to not Google. So I, I would I appreciate it when people don't Google. But when you Google, because it is inevitable, just come and talk to us because we can we can just tell we can just fill the picture out a little bit more than what the Internet sometimes will provide. It's probably probably what I should have done, but I did not. <laughs> <laughs> but see, that's why we're doing the podcast. And so now other moms and dads will know that when they Google NEC, they should come and talk to their neonatologist. That's true. And yeah, that, that is 100% true. Talk to your, talk to your neonatologist. Uh, try not to Google. And that's in most things, not just for UNICU parents. I think that's, that, that's a rule for anything going wrong in your life. There was that feeling of like, okay, this is this is when the bottom drops out. We've been waiting for it because the life in the NICU is so up and down. It's so day by day. Like, even if your baby is doing really well, you're surrounded by the reality that a lot of people think their babies are doing really well until they're not. And that's hard. Yes, that's very hard. <sighs> and it's impossible and not to see you know, um, even though we have individual rooms and even though we try not to talk about other babies in front of other parents, you still see the parents walking onto the unit and you know who's having a good day and who's having a bad day. Parents carry that weight on them and you can see it in mm -hmm. how they walk in and what their face looks like. You can't, there's no way to ignore the gravity of what's happening in the NICU. Yeah. And that, that's, that's so true. And, and you hear everything. I mean, at least for us, our schedule was, we wanted to be there as much as possible because we could, we were both off work where we, we were both, you know, on our, our parental leave. We wanted to be there. We lived super close. Um, and so we were there from five o'clock in the morning every day until cares ended after eight. And that was our day every day for 50 days. And so when you're in there that much, you hear everything. And, um, you know, we, and we were friendly with some of the, the families in our hall and, and we see everything happening. And, and so we always felt like really lucky um, in a way that Leo was progressing how well and how quickly he was progressing. But we also had that fear, right, that, that it could, that it could not continue that way. And when, when they thought that he had neck, that was when we thought, you know, we, we had hit our first real, um, real snafu, I mean, and, and scare. And so he goes through all this treatment and while I'm, I'm so worried about my baby and I'm, I'm super devastated about my baby, the selfish part of me is also like, this is going to set us back so many weeks for his recovery and to bring him home. And like, to me, I'm like, why am I thinking that? Like, I, I need to be thinking about my child and about him beating this thing, which most of my feelings were that. But then in the back of my head, I was like, is this going to be another, how many weeks is this going to add to our stay? 
and that's if everything goes well, right? Because that's only a teeny tiny fraction if things go wrong. And in our scenario, luckily, it was 48 hours. He was on his IVs. He went kind of back into the isolate. But he was, he, his test came back in 48 hours and, and it was, he was fine. He actually just had a bad reaction to his fortifiers. And which so happens. And it happens. When, when babies first present, you don't know which way it's necessarily going to go because they can both look the same and then go one direction or the other. So all babies get worked up. It is how it should be in hindsight. Absolutely. In that moment, I was like, we just put my baby through all of this and set us back and, and, and it's just, you know, a reaction that I, I kind of like thought he wasn't liking these fillers anyway, but, or these fortifiers anyway. But then on the other hand, there's that feeling of like, if things were positive and that's what he's going through, yes, do all of that. And you should do all of that because, you know, that is the scenario that we do not want. So part of me was like, ugh. I can't believe we just put this this baby through this. And the other part of me was like, I'm so glad my doctors acted decisively and that just like took care of it. And and if he was sick, that was the reaction that I wanted. Right. So that was that was our biggest scare and our biggest setback. And and he did he did eventually recover. Um he after like two or three days, he got, you know, back uh, the IV came out. Um, and they started to do tube feeds again in his NG tube. And he started, he still had tummy issues. I think he was on continuous feeds for a while after that, but he started progressing again, um, and getting back on track. But that was definitely the biggest setback and the biggest scare, yeah. uh, that we had while we were there. Which not to downplay your experience in any way, shape or form in terms of setbacks in the NICU is, not such a bad setback, you know, uh, 48 hours of antibiotics and no, and it's, it's, a, it's actually, it was, that's exactly what my husband and I say all the time. Like we were so fortunate with what our setbacks were, which, which, and I know how hard this experience was for us with, with our baby and with a child that for all things, considered and and for everything we went through he had it pretty good like he did really well and it was still so difficult right but he did he did great but he did you know you're not a doctor you're not a nurse you're not a neonatologist you're not any of these specialists but you're around them all day you know how to use the machines and there's so many people coming in and out um taking care of your baby making notes on your baby um, you know, we'd go and sit there and listen to rounds and do all that. And, um, you can be an advocate for your baby too, while you're there, which also translates to bringing your baby home. But I remember, um, one day, you know, I'm talking to our neonatologist, she's telling me about some treatment stuff. And I was just like, ah, do we really want to do that? And, and then I was like, oh my gosh, I'm sorry. You're, you're the doctor. Like, I don't know why I'm pushing back on you. And she stopped me and she said, Caitlin, she's like, I am his doctor. Yes, I'm the professional and we have a team here, but you are his mother. You're here every day. You see what's happening with this baby day in and day out. I want to hear if you think that something's up and, you know, you're allowed to have an opinion. And I, I appreciated that so much because I felt like I was part of the team. Even though I wasn't on the medical team, I was I was team Leo. I was like, this is my kid. And same with my husband. We were just like, okay, we can we can be parents. And it felt really good and empowering 
in a situation where, you know, there's very little places to feel empowered. I love when parents participate in rounds and ask questions and say, gosh, I noticed this. Have you have you noticed this? And then we can talk about it. And it feels very collaborative. Um, and I think it really gives parents a sense of importance and a and a place of inclusion within the NICU. And, and I think that leads to better NICU experiences when parents feel included. Some of the stories that I've heard about not so great NICU experiences often revolve around the fact that parents watched everybody else take care of their baby and didn't feel like they had a place in the NICU. Yeah. And I, and I can see why that would be really difficult. And uh, I feel very grateful that, you know, the hospital we were in, they were, that was the kind of culture there. I think the mentality wasn't empower the parents and it's helpful for us because our, our baby, he went through some difficult parts, but for the most part, he, he wasn't sick. He just needed to grow. You know, there, there, that was one mantra I said to myself every day, my baby's not sick. He just needs to grow and he needed more attention. And that gave me a little bit more leverage as a parent because there weren't any, you know, extreme situations in which I, I, I couldn't have any say, you know, a lot of it was just like, you know, managing if he was uncomfortable or, or something was going on, but you know, it, it was, it was really, um, it was really nice to be part of that culture and that team. And I, I think that too, learning that you can, if you don't feel that way, sometimes you can ask for a different primary or you can say, you know, it's not working out. And, and maybe I need somebody that's better suited for my personality. It's not that that, that nurse isn't necessarily a good nurse. He or she probably is a great nurse, but maybe it just doesn't suit your personality type or, or something like that. So, so I think as a parent, you also have the right to be like, Hey, um, is there somebody else that maybe gets me better? <laughs> right. Well, and you're if, if you're there all day, every day, and they're there all day, every day, you're hanging out with this person for 12 hours. And mm-hmm. there's there's not that many people in the world that you hang out with for 12 hours straight, you know, like a spouse, your siblings, your family. And, you know, those relationships are good and bad. And that's going to be the same same with nurses. And you're mm-hmm. going to have some good days and they're going to have some good days and everybody's going to have some bad days. And it's very stressful in the NICU and emotions are really heightened. And so having a little bit of kindness and grace towards the people that you're in this pot with goes a long way. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I don't know what I would have done without our team. Everybody. Everybody was just, I look back and I, I miss them. You know, I miss them a little bit. And and I think that plays into like when we left, we thought our timeline was going to be a lot sooner than it was. And then it got extended. And then we kind of stopped asking when we were going home because we just didn't know. And, you know, it, we thought we were going to be in there. I remember it was day 45 and I had taken a picture of me and my baby and been like, I remember sending it out to some friends and being like day 45, you know, we're doing great. And thinking I was going to be in there for so much longer. And then a couple days later, it was a Friday, one of the doctors, he came in and he said, so I think you should plan your overnight for this weekend, probably Saturday. And um, Lenny and I looked at each other and we were like, uh, Saturday, that's that's tomorrow. <laughs> so, and he's like, yeah, that's tomorrow. And and so we we went into our overnight in disbelief. We didn't even tell our families. Um, until the next day when actually my neonatologist who delivered Leo, she actually was able to discharge us. And my husband and I were 
thrilled about that because we loved her so much. And um, I felt like we were all a team. Like my husband was like the most active participant and best partner I could have asked for. And our doctor was that way and our nurses were that way. So when, when we left, it was just, I think it felt so good because we were leaving. And then everybody we wanted to be there was there. And I remember I took a picture, I think, when, when Lenny was walking down with Leo in the car seat, had the oxygen tank on his back because Leo went home with oxygen, and just popped a picture and sent it to our family. And everybody was like, wait, what? Where are, where you? are you going? <laughs> yeah. And, and we, we just went home. We were only like 10, 15 minutes away, which was, it was so nice, right, that we could be that close to home. Um, and and we, we went home. We were like, okay. Now what? <laughs> yeah, now what do we do? Oh, we yeah, kind of hang around and take care of our baby at home now instead of in the NICU. Right. And we were nervous, though, because, you know, we did so much. Like you were saying, like, we did so much of that active work. We were a team. Like, he and I, we knew who was doing what part of the care. and We knew what Leo loved to do. And we, we knew who was, you know, who was kangarooing him when. And um, But we also had him on monitors 24 hours a day. And we had our nurses to not just support our beautiful little boy, but to support us. And so we, we went home, we were, we were a little nervous. And, and still, I mean, my baby's 10 months old, and I still have him on an outlet, which, <laughs> you know, it, it is what it is. I just wanted him on the monitor still. But we were just happy to be home. And, you know, Leo, I was worried about at first, and then just watching him progress through the NICU, he was so fierce. And he was so strong. And like, when like he would, he would, go through some of these episodes where he needed blood sugar pricks like five times a day. And, you know, he maybe would cry at one or two, but he was such a little resilient lion. Like he truly lived up to his name. And, and I needed sometimes like to be calmed down whenever he could get the pricks because it hurt me more than it hurt him. He was just so resilient. Now you've been home for you know, eight months. How do you think that your NICU stay and your experience has either shaped the way you look at parenting or changed how you thought you would be as a parent? Or has it? He's my first baby and my first child. So I I don't really know how I would have been a parent anyway. I think that, you know, you like to think, oh, I'll be this kind of parent, that kind of parent. Um, But until it gets here, I, you never know. And that's every mom says that, you know, preemie moms and full-term moms. Like, I don't know what kind of parent. Yeah, I would be, you know, we talk in milliliters and he still wears an outlet and, uh, you know, we do our three hour cares. Sometimes we still say the word cares, but from the day to day parenting, I don't know. But I think from the overall perspective of what I believe is inside the realm of possibility for what can happen, I think that's definitely been changed by my experience. I think it's a little bit of that feeling of even if something is improbable from a risk standpoint, I am now open to the fact that, you know, that could very well be our reality. So I think that what I think we may or may not go through has broadened a little bit from an experience standpoint. Yeah, you're no longer blissfully ignorant is how I call it. You know, you go through this process, me thinking I'm going to have a natural birth to me delivering at 29 weeks and, and having this, this really, you know, for lack of a better, it's traumatic, even in our circumstance, which was actually not too bad, right? But it still was traumatic. And I also think it's going to affect, 
our family in general, right? When my husband and I got married, we envisioned a large family. We wanted two, three, maybe even four children. And the reality is, is I don't know if that can happen or will happen, right? We're still trying to grapple with the fact that we really don't know how this happened. It's not like we know, okay, you had preeclampsia or you had something that we know what it was to diagnose and say, these are your chances for the next pregnancy. There is evidence that we had an abruption at 20 weeks. Um, you know, they found the scar tissue when they took my placenta out and, and they say, okay, you had an abruption, but we, we don't know why. So that, that then leads me down the path of, okay, so is this going to happen again? Right. And can I, can I do that? And my husband, can, can we do that? But more importantly, we, ha- we had a really good experience, but we also saw what, what else could happen in that NICU. And we came out with this baby. We got to A, take home. And a lot of moms don't get to take their babies home. And we got a baby we got to take home without a surgery, without a blood transfusion, without any of this stuff that happened. And if this happens again, I don't know if we'll be that lucky again. And and putting another baby through that seems really hard. Yeah, I can see that. I think it it is a giant, for lack of a better phrase, a giant leap of faith to try again um, or to get pregnant again once you've already been through the NICU because you now know that life is fragile and and you've been through that. Lots of moms, you know, because I've been doing this now for a while, who um, when they were going home from the NICU would say, yeah, no, we are not having any more kids. We are done. I'm not doing this again. And then you know, that NICU baby turns three or four and I get a little message that says, hey, I'm pregnant and look, I have this healthy term baby. Um, but but I also have moms where I took care of their first baby and I took care of their second baby. Um, and, and so, you know, it, it does go both ways. And I think I think you're still too close to it. Um, it like you were talking about time, um, how you pro- how time really helps process something. In terms of NICU stays, you're still in the thick of of the baby part, you know, and you're still really close mm-hmm. to it. Yeah, no, and I think that's fair, Anna. And I think part of my thought is that God, it is time, and it's also the the fact that like, but I look at my kid, and he is awesome. Mm-hmm. He is awesome, and. I feel like I'm not doing him justice today and talking to you, but like he was, he was like a little champion through all of this. It's like, this is what his world was. And this is, and he was so good. And I want to give him that, like, I want to give him a sibling and I want to give him another person in his life. But you know, it's, it's hard, right? It's hard to make that choice knowing what you know. Um, but also I'm, I'm like, well, we could have a totally normal experience. It'll be fine. So I guess my answer is like, ask me in a year or two, right? Right. Uh, yeah. Ask me in a year or two. I would love to have a big family, but I think being a being a NICU parent changes how you envision your family. But I think you talk to people that have fertility issues, or talk to people that have lost a baby um, while they were pregnant, had a miscarriage. Like I think that all of those things change and your perspective, and it's just a personal struggle and and thing to go through. But we'll see. If you now. 
10 months after having him could go back to you sitting on the c-section table saying it's too soon it's too soon it's too soon and sobbing if you right now could go back to that moment and tell yourself one thing what would you tell yourself that you think would have helped in that totally overwhelming moment I think the only thing I wanted to hear in that moment is he's going to be okay. And it's a little game I play with myself that I played in the NICU too, is I close, I would close my eyes and I would imagine the day that he would come home and that he would be big and bouncing and healthy like those full-term babies down the hall. And I would close my eyes and I'd envision his little lion-hearted personality and self and his little tiny little body and I'd imagine it big and fat and chubby and I'd take my little internal crystal ball and I would just imagine that day and I was like he's gonna he'll be okay and he will get there because some days it was really hard to see that clear path right and that's why I think the preemie mom stories are so important right those success stories are so important to help you get there but like if I could tell myself one thing it'd be like he's gonna be okay Um, But if I didn't know that, I think another thing I would tell myself is um, give yourself a little grace. This isn't anywhere anybody ever expects they're going to be. And it sucks. I mean, it sucks. There's no other way to say it. But you're in it. Right. And, And you can't go backwards. You can only move through it and you can only keep going. And eventually, whatever happens in between will happen. You can be an advocate for your baby. You can move through all of these feelings that you're going to go through, you know, the ups and the downs and the terrible part. But eventually, you're going to be through it. It reminds me of that that book, The Bear Hunt Can't Go over it you can't go under it you have to go through <laughs> you it gotta go through you, it you just yes. gotta go through the weeds and the mud and the snow to get to get to the yeah. end of this path you just gotta go through it and and you're gonna go through all of it right you're gonna go through all of it but but try to find like try not to look back and feel it's gonna be really hard to do but not feel that guilt not feel that tracing of all of your steps of everything that you should have could have would have done or changed and and try and find and hold on to the little pockets of joy because they're there. I mean, that that little life you created is still yours. You're still a mom, even though you don't feel like you're a mom sometimes because everything about the NICU is unnatural. But you're still a mom. You still deserve to feel that joy. And your baby deserves to have that joy. And it's really sometimes hard to get there. But like, if you can just find those little pockets and like burn them in your brain. Like that's, that's what I wish I did more of is, is finding those pockets of joy and like holding them. Cause my, my baby, he was like super joyful. He was like a little, a little spitfire. So why not try and why not try and find those little pockets of joy? Because it is, it is sometimes really hard to do, but some of those moments I'll look back and those tiny little fleeting moments, I, I, I love the most. 
I think that's incredible advice. Try to find one or two things every day that were joyful. And if you're having a hard time, scroll back through your phone and find two pictures from that day that show good moments. So particularly for moms who are in the NICU, who are taking pictures of their baby every day, find two pictures that day that that bring you some joy. Like sometimes the experience as a parent, because you understand the bigger picture, is overwhelming. But then I like think about it, I'm like, this is the only world he knows. And sometimes that would make me sad because he'd never seen the sky or he'd never had a hug, like a proper hug, not a kangaroo. I love kangarooing, but like not a proper, just like bouncy little baby hug. You know, he couldn't, he couldn't have those yet. But at the same time, like this is his reality and he doesn't really understand what's going on, but he still seemed like he knew who he was with and this was his life experience and you know he really didn't know any different so so sure he didn't like being pricked and poked and prodded but in reality it probably was a lot harder on me right and a lot harder on my husband for so much of it I felt grief that he didn't get this joyful existence but then I was like you know what there was joy in there and there were moments where I felt like a mom and there were moments where I felt like we connected What I found really important, too, is when I was going through it, people told me all the time, and I had a great support network. My family's amazing. You know, my my mom, his mom, our, you know, his sister, people were flying out from across the country to see us. Our friends were helping us in every way they could, making us food and take care of our house and our dog. And, like, I was overwhelmed with gratitude about how wonderful our community was and all the support and, and, and everything. So I want to, God, I was just blown away by what people did for us. And I I didn't expect that. I mean, we knew we had a good network and I didn't expect that. Somehow I still felt isolated and I still felt alone in a lot of ways. And I think for, for people that are going through it, it's just like, you're, you're not alone. Try and find the other parents that has been through it, right? And try and try and find those success stories. And don't be shy about asking other people for their thoughts or their help because we're we who have been through it know what it's like to be craving that information. And like we I feel like it's 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 a little bit of a community. It's it's like an alternate universe when you're in the NICU and having that support is really important. When I was going through it too, and Lenny as well, my husband, people are always saying like, you guys are so strong. You guys are so strong. I can't believe you're getting through it. And I, I didn't feel strong at all in the moment. I felt like, you know, we're just, do- we have to do it. What else are we going to do, right? We got to be there for our kid. We've got to be there for ourselves. We just, we just have to do it. And in the moment, I didn't feel strong, but I feel like Looking back, and if I could tell other preemie parents, you are strong. You're stronger than you ever thought you had to be, and so is your baby. Preemie babies are more resilient human beings than I've ever seen in my life. They're joyful little beings, and I feel like you really don't understand because I feel like unless you are a preemie parent or someone super close to a preemie baby, 
it's really hard to get an up close and personal experience with those babies and they are incredible. Um, so I would say just keep doing what you're doing. Even on the days you don't feel strong, you will look back and you will understand how strong you are. I think that's great advice. Ultimately, what helped you work through those emotions and get through some of that that grief that you were feeling while you were in the NICU? Yeah. Um, I think first was having a support system. You know, my husband was my partner. He was my rock. He was the person going through it with me, and, and he, he really got it. And I think having a support system to just hear you and be there with you was really important. Same, you know, our family and friends and definitely the other preemie parents that reached out and, and gave us that support helped. But I think too, it was, it was a lot of time. It just took time and, and part of time passing for us was also kind of seeing how things progressed. And I think being out, being able to find your role and your purpose as a parent helped with that grief because so much of that grief was coming out of feeling like you had lost something and feeling like your child had lost something that at least for me, I felt that I had lost so many things that I had wanted from my, from my birth experience. Um, and I was grieving that. And I think as time went on and I got to know my child better and I got to understand how I could be an active part of his life and how he needed me or, or how I fit in, I think I started to realize that I might be missing the quote unquote kind of normal stuff, but there were versions of that in what I was doing every day that I didn't necessarily have to grieve losing those anymore because I found them somewhere else. Uh, And I think that only came with time and being able to see that my baby was okay, he was progressing fine, and that I could still be there for him. And it didn't take it away completely, but um, I think that it just helped those feelings of loss when I was able to fill those gaps with just like a different version. It was a lot, it, it took a long time though. And still, it's still, if I think about it too much, you know, it'll, it'll still hit me. You know, sometimes it, it, I still am like, Oh, I didn't, I didn't ever get to like have an experience where I just got to hold my baby, take him home, but he's home now and, and he's beautiful and he's thriving. And, you know, as difficult as it, as it was to, go through. I'm, I'm kind of grateful for the grief in a way. Um, it, I mean, I wouldn't have said that in the NICU, right. I would have never said it going through it, but like the whole experience like now has given me this, this kind of like sense of like gratitude for where my son is and what he has gone through. You know, he's, he's so, I've learned more about being resilient in you know his nine months, he's taught me this like level of resilience that in 34 years I I never would have had to know, and he did it at you know negative two and a half months, right? Like you know he's still supposed to be a tiny little fetus, and here he was just like being this this incredible little human. And I know if, if he can do it, and we got through it, you know there's there's a lot more that's going to happen in life that we're going to have to get through, and you know it's our story and, and it's not, not what I would have envisioned, but kind of, I love our story because like, this is my family and, and this is who we are. And, you know, it's not perfect. And some days it's easier to love than others, but uh, I just, I love my, my little family. So. Well, and how, how nice is it to start that journey as your family, knowing how 
resilient you all of you are and how much of a team all of you are right like you and your husband really came together to be a team that's not everybody's story in the NICU your baby brought out the resilience that's that was already in you that you didn't even know that you had and that was kind of an awakening like oh I am this resilient person and my baby is this resilient person and we're starting our family journey knowing that we're this team. Yeah. And that was, that was really nice. And that was actually unexpected too. I mean, I, I don't get me wrong. Like I, I, my partnership is awesome. I love my husband. We're just a normal couple. We're not like a, a super couple that like is really relaxed. Like we both are kind of anxious people and, you know, but yeah, I mean, when, when it showed me that like when, when stuff gets hard, like we actually do really well. And one of us is always the rock. Like on the days that were harder for him, I could keep it together. On the days that were harder for me, he could keep it together. And, and that's a lesson. And I think another preemie mom said it to me when I was going through it. She's like, this experience really makes you realize what those wedding vows are for. She's like, you've been married a year and now you're trying, you're going through this experience that, you know, you, you didn't even expect would happen in the first you know decade of your life. And she's like, you learn what the wedding vows mean. And she was totally right, you know, and, and, um, we got through it and like, yeah, I think that the, the, the partnership and the team, um, feeling was, is, is, is there. And it probably wouldn't be as strong if we, if we didn't go through it. I can't say it enough. The work you're doing is helping people. And I just wanted to make sure we did it right. Yes. <laughs> like we got the full picture because I think too, it's, it's powerful to know that like our stay was like, it's still traumatic. Even if your baby isn't, you know, going through some of the things that these other, babies who are absolute warriors, these moms that are having these babies around you that are 24 weeks or 25 weeks, like that, that is so much. Those women, I just look up to myself and, and be like, I, I don't know how you did this because I went through this experience and my baby was doing pretty good and it was still super, super hard. Right. Well, so, and, anyway, and they didn't just, know how they did it either you know at you <laughs> right you become hi buddy you become the parent thank you for letting me be a part of it I mean as soon as I listened to podcasts I was like I I I want to be part of this because Good. like this is important yeah. like this is important like that's what I came away from the podcast thinking is like yes you keep saying it Walt no podcast